Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How's everybody doing? We good? A good happy Father's Day to all the dads. Hopefully you stopped by the bacon bar. We're not checking your credentials at the table, so if you're not a father, you can still get some bacon as well. But uh, hopefully you stopped by there. Let me just tell you, if you get that candied pepper bacon, <clears throat> you need to get some water with that, because that, that stuff will clear the sinuses pretty quick. But man, it is good. Uh, but no, happy Father's Day too. If you're a dad in the room, we're glad that you are here. You heard just a minute ago about camp. Man, what a great, a bunch of great stories we heard this past week. Our high school group went to camp, like 13, 14 folks went up for a week of summer camp. Uh, tomorrow about noon, we've got a group, I think of 29 middle schoolers and leaders headed to camp. Uh, and then next week, a group of grade schoolers. So it's going to be awesome. So be in prayer for them for sure. But uh, we're so glad that you're here. You know, dads, we honor you today. We're glad that you're here. If you are a dad or you have a dad, uh, it's just a great day. You know, dads kind of have it rough, if we're being honest. Like, I'm a dad, and, and we have a pretty good gig, but we also, it's, it's a little bit rough. I know uh, I heard a story one time of a little girl that was sitting at dinner with her family, and, and she looked at her dad, and she said, Dad, she was like, you're in charge, right? And he looked at her and smiled and, you know, kind of nodded and said, yeah, baby, I'm in charge. And she continued and said, because mommy lets you be, right? <laughs> and he didn't respond. Um, you know, the other day, Kenley was sitting in my lap, and she was just kind of rubbing my face. And, you know, she was kind of rubbing, you know, those parts that are starting to wrinkle up a little bit. And she was like, Dad, God made you, right? I said, yeah, baby, God made me a long time ago. And, you know, he made me, created me, formed me. She was like, that's good. And then she was kind of feeling herself, and she said, God made me too, right? I said, yeah, baby, God made you. He made you more recently than he made me, you know, sooner, you know, from, from right now. And so then she felt my face and she felt her face and she said, God's getting better at this, isn't he? <laughs> so dads, I honor you today. Even though God's getting better at it, he did pretty good when he created you, and uh, no, we're, we're glad that you're here today. Hopefully, hopefully you're here with family, and, and no matter who you are, if you're dad, mom, if you're, if you're just here by yourself, you're a, a teenager or, or single, whatever today is for you, uh, it's not just for dads, but we do want to say to the dads that we're, we're glad that you're here. If you are here today and you're a dad, they already had you stand, I'm not going to have you do that, but if you are a dad, let me just say quickly to you how much I honor the fact that you're here. And I honor you for a couple of reasons, one being that it's important that you're here. Statistics tell us that the, the role of faith and fatherhood leaves an impression on your children. Statistics tell us that when a mom is saved, when she finds a relationship with Jesus Christ, about 17% of the time her family will come to church with her after that decision if she wasn't already in church. But if a dad makes a decision for Jesus Christ, 93% of the time the family comes with him to church. It also tells us statistics that have been done for, for years and years and kind of redone to make sure that some of these numbers are correct, that if mom is active in church but dad is not active in church, uh, less than 10% of children will kind of grow up and stay active in church. But if dad is active in church, no matter how active mom is, 65 to 75% of children will stay active in church. 
the role of fatherhood and faith is vitally important. And so if you're here today, I honor you for being here, and I tell you to keep doing what you're doing. Even if this was like the first Sunday you've been in a while or you don't really come super regular, I would say instead of just receiving gifts from your family today, what you need to do is give a gift to your family today and just take a step forward in relationship with God and in relationship to the church and stay involved in church and stay involved in the lives of your children. No matter your age, you say, well, you know, you don't understand. My kids are already grown. They're moved out. You know, you don't understand. I mean, we haven't talked in a while, or when we talk, it's kind of strained. And I would say to you, it's never too late for you to start building that relationship again or working on that relationship. Again, countless studies that that can't even, you just keep looking, keep looking, and they're all saying the same thing, that the role of the father in the life of people, in life of individuals, is one of, if not the most influential role of anybody that they will interact with for the rest of their life. And so what I would say to you is just stay involved. Plan the game nights, pick up the phone, call them, send them the birthday card, pay for vacation, pay for dinner, whatever it is, just find a way, bribe your kids to stay involved in their lives if you can. And so I would also say to you today, if you're a family and and dad's just not involved at all, if you're a child that doesn't really have a relationship with your father, if you're a single mom, if there's brokenness in the home, brokenness in the relationship, I would say to you that I believe with all of my heart, and it's been true in the stories of several people that I love and am very, very close to, that God can help fill in the gaps in those places that you feel like you're missing. But God also can reconcile brokenness. And so I would tell you, just keep fighting for it. Keep trying. Don't just fight with each other, but fight for something. Because I believe that God can do a work of forgiveness and healing in relationships there. You know, I kind of am the guy that gets to choose pretty much with the help of the Lord what we're going to spend our time talking about when we get to this point in our service each week. We plan it out, we plan it out far in advance, and then we lean into the Holy Spirit both in the planning process months in advance, and then even week of and and day of, like, Lord, is this still what you want me to share or what you want us as a team to share? And, And so when we put together this summer series, I'm always aware throughout the year of when special days are or holidays or, you know, regular things that we just need to be aware of. You know, we know when Easter is and Mother's Day and Father's Day and special things And so when we put together this series to spend all summer long talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I recognized pretty quickly that three weeks in, we're to Father's Day. And it's like, I don't really know. Fruit of the Spirit on Father's Day? I'm not really sure we want to do that. But I really felt like that this would be the perfect topic. We didn't have to manipulate the topics or reorder the fruit of the Spirit for us to land on something that I believe will hit all of us in a really, really great way. You know, we've been talking for the last two weeks about this idea of fruitology, Studying the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5, and I'm not going to re-preach the last two weeks. If you weren't here, you can go back and catch them on our podcast. But really what we've looked at these last two weeks is that when you are living by the Spirit of God, that God produces some things in our lives that are different than the works of the flesh if you're just living on your own. If the Spirit of God is leading and guiding your life, then the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that something is produced in you and through you that's different than what you produce yourself when you're just living by the flesh and just living your own way and whatever you seem to think is right. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And so the Apostle Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit of God, when our lives are centered around and really kind of directed by the Spirit of God with our lives, that there is something that's produced in and through us that's different than what we can produce on our own. And those things that we produce on our own, a small list of those is mentioned beginning there in verse 19 of Galatians 5 when it says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It just says, I can't even name them all. Like there's a bunch of stuff and then a bunch more stuff just like these things. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The idea there of crucifixion is that the things that you are producing with your flesh need to be killed off. They need to be destroyed. It's not just enough to say, I don't want to do those things anymore. I'm going to keep hanging out with the same people, keep going to the same places, but I'm going to be stronger this time. It's like, no, no, no. You've got to actually kill off those passions and desires so that God can do something in you, a new work and this fruit of the Spirit of God. And so what we've said the last two weeks before we jump into today's topic is that the original word there for work as it relates to work of the flesh is ergon, which is translated as work or the acts or deeds to produce something. It's what you produce with your own deeds, your own acts. The the things that Paul mentioned there, the works of the flesh, are the things that you produce as you live your life on your own trying to do all that you want to do. But the fruit of the Spirit is actually translated to say it is the origination or comes from something else. It's an effect or a result. It's not what you produce. It's what's produced through something else in your life. And so where we landed two weeks ago and where we've spent our last few weeks and where we will spend the rest of the summer is that the works of the flesh is a result of what you do, but the fruit of the Spirit is a result of what God does in you. It's not what you produce, but the fruit of the Spirit is what God is doing and you. So two weeks ago, we started with these fruit, and we were just working our way through these characteristics that God is producing in our lives as we are spirit-led. And so we started with love, and we said that you don't do love, you actually have to be love. And that as you crucify those things in you that do not reflect the character and nature and love of God, that God actually allows that love to come out of you towards other people, and they receive that and feel that because we love because he first loved us. And then we talked last week about joy being an attitude that you choose in advance, that it's not just a feeling that you feel when something happens, good or bad, like happiness or sadness, but that joy is an attitude that you can choose. So that even when things are bad, even when circumstances are not what you would have chosen with your life, that you can still have joy. And so today on this Father's Day, on this weekend where maybe you've got a lot of other things planned, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about peace. And we're going to look at this idea of what peace actually is and how we allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us to produce peace, both in our lives for the circumstances that we walk through, but also into the relationships that we have with other people in our lives. Look at this in John 14, verse 26 and 27. This is what Jesus says before he leaves the earth. He's talking to his disciples about what will come after he leaves the earth. John 14, verse 26 says this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled 
and do not be afraid. Now, the middle of that passage that we read was actually the beginning of verse 27. He says, peace I give to you. My peace I leave you. Now, in, in this context, in, in this, the first century church there, um, they would have greeted one another with the word shalom. They would have greeted one another with this kind of phrasing where they're saying peace, and then somebody would respond back and say peace to you. And so the idea here is that Jesus uses the same terminology that they would have used to greet one another. Shalom, peace, peace I give to you, peace I leave to you. But he's actually saying to them that there's something different in the world, even through the law. You can greet one another with peace, but I'm giving you a peace that comes from the Father in my name through the Holy Spirit, which is being left for you. An advocate, if you will. Now, an advocate is someone who actually is not a part of what you're facing, but steps into that circumstance and helps you to deal with whatever's happening. Kind of think of a mediator there or someone who comes in and on your behalf, they argue your case. That they, they present evidence on your behalf. They help people to understand what your side of the story is. And so Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, God is going to send him in my absence and give you the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes a peace that advocates for you in the circumstances that you face. When life is bad, when things are hard, when relationships are being torn into, when you're afraid, when, when you're worried about your circumstances and the things that you're facing, the Holy Spirit steps in and advocates in my name as a gift of the Father, advocates to go, you know what? You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. I give you my peace. I give you my peace. Now, you know, in my family, on both sides of kind of the family tree all the way up, I've got really strong relationships, strong family origin and, and heritage, which I'm so thankful for. And, and, and what we love about the family is that, you know, there's a lot of people whose love language is gifts. I love that because people whose love language is gifts try to show you love by giving you gifts. Aren't we thankful for those folks, right? And so there's a lot of people on both sides of my family tree that they, they love to receive gifts. And so as a part of that, they love to give gifts. Well, I love receiving gifts. I wouldn't necessarily say it's my love language, but I feel loved when you give me gifts. So you go ahead and just love me all you want to. And I'm going to thank you and love you right back. And, and so like, I'm thankful for that. But there is something special that happens when someone doesn't just give you a gift but they actually give you a gift that is theirs. You ever received a gift from somebody that it's like, it's like an heirloom? It was something that was handed down to them by somebody that was before them, and they're now handing that off to you. I was looking in my office today, and I should have brought it with me, but I was looking at the fact that I have a Bible from my grandfather that was actually given to him as a gift. And before he passed away, he handed it off to my mom, and my mom gave it before she passed away to me. It's a treasured possession of mine. That's what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, I give you my peace, the peace that I possess. I'm not just saying, here, here's the gift of peace. I'm saying, no, I give you my peace, the peace that I possess in my life that I use to speak to the winds and the waves when I stepped to the forefront of the boat and the storm was crazy and everybody thought we were dying. I could speak peace in that. I give you that. 
Whenever the winds and the waves of your life are going crazy and you're not sure you're going to make it, you don't just have to lean into, you know, a pastor or somebody praying for you or an elder or somebody praying for you, which we believe in. That's what scripture says. You can come together and pray together and be encouraged. But you also, if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, you possess the peace of God for yourself. And you can actually step up and look at the winds and the waves and look at the circumstances and say, you know what? Before Jesus left the earth, he gave me his peace. And you can just start speaking to those winds, peace be still. This mess that I am facing, you got to stop. You got to stop. The last thing he said right there is, you don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. Now, it's easy for Jesus to say that. But how, how are we supposed to receive that? Look in, in John 16, just two, ver- two chapters later, he's again speaking here, and he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. And then it gets really bad. In this world you will have trouble. Let's just stop right there and say, if anybody promised you when you signed up for this Christianity thing that you weren't going to have trouble, they lied to you. I was meeting with somebody in my office this week, and he actually said this phrase. He said, you know, this Christianity thing is hard. And I said, you're right. But Isaiah tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. It's not just like you signed up and all of a sudden bad stuff starts happening to you. But I will tell you, when you enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, sometimes the enemy is, not sometimes, the enemy is going to fight you. In this world, in this fallen world where sin is rampant, where brokenness abounds, you are going to have some trouble. And Jesus wanted them to know that. He said, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. But listen, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, what I love about this that I didn't really grasp the first few times that I read this passage of Scripture is he didn't say, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome your trouble. That would have been cool if he said that. In this world, you're going to have fighting, but I've overcome the fighting. In this world, you're going to have job loss, but I've overcome the job loss. In this world, you're going to have financial strain, but I've overcome the financial strain. He said, in this world, okay, this is, this is the world for me. It's in my hands right here. In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble exists in the world. But take heart. I have overcome the whole world. Not just the problem you're facing now. Every problem you will ever have, ever, ever, ever in the world. I've already overcome that. I've already overcome everything that you'll face. Everything that your neighbor's facing. Everything that your mama's facing. Everything your best friend is facing. Everything your arch enemy is facing. Take heart. I've already overcome all of that. I leave you. I give you my peace. No matter what you're facing, I give you My peace. And so what we understand is that throughout this whole story here, Jesus is saying to them, listen, I've got a bigger plan. That's what we talked about last week. One of the things that we said that helps us to to have joy is that we've got to see the bigger picture. We said Jesus saw that. He understood in the garden as he was praying and he was saying, Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. He understood that there was a bigger picture taking place. He had to go to the cross so that you and I could find salvation and healing in our lives. And so he understood that. So he was able, according to Hebrews, he was able to endure the cross considering joy that was set before him. And so you and I, as we look at this idea of peace, we understand that sometimes we have to recognize that there is a bigger picture, a bigger story being written here. That the trouble that you and I may face, the good times that we may face, is a part of this world that we live in 
but he has already overcome the world. And so we have the peace of God that comes to us. You ha- we have a greater understanding as we lean more into the character and nature of God, as we allow the Spirit of God to lead and guide our lives, then we understand more and more that God is writing a bigger story. So we can have peace in all circumstances, but it's even bigger than that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Again, we're talking about the peace of Christ. It's not just what you have. It's not just what I have. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace doesn't just start through nice words to one another. It comes from our hearts because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's hard for you to speak peace if you don't have peace in your heart. And that peace comes from Christ Jesus. Let the peace rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. We're not supposed to fight with one another because we are all a part of one body. You're called to peace. If I walked around the room and tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, I got a job for you. I need you to help me. I need you to do something for me. Most everybody in the room, except three or four people, but I know who they are. I wouldn't tap them on their shoulders. You would do that job. You say, I'll help you. Let's go. What do you need? What do you need? Let's do it. We got some of the most serving people I've ever met in my whole life in this church. So if I walked up and said, hey, you know, we've got something over here. I need you to come out here and help us change a tire. Somebody's tire is flat. I watched this like four or five weeks ago. I just tapped, hey, can you come help us change a tire? You're like, I don't know how to do that, but absolutely. I'll, I'll go get waters for the people that are changing tires. I'll do whatever you need to do. Like, let's go do it. Because we're just serving. But he said, listen, you're called to peace. Nobody has to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, let's go do peace. That calling's already there. It already exists. You were called to peace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this. Make every effort. What effort? Every? Say every. Every effort to live in peace with, ooh, who? Everyone. Even the ornery people on your job. Even your cantankerous brother-in-law. Everyone. And to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see. Make every effort effort. You say, well, he's not trying as much as I'm trying. I don't care. She's not trying like I'm trying. I don't care. This passage of scripture right here doesn't say it matters at all what they're doing. Make every effort, you and I, make every effort to be at peace with, I wish he'd have left that out. Everyone. And to be holy. Look at this in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you. So stop blaming them. Quit blaming them. Look at your neighbor and say, quit blaming them. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Look at this in Romans 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make every effort effort, every effort to do what leads to peace. We're commanded to live in peace with everyone. We're not just walking around trying to react in a positive way to all the things that are happening to us. No, no, no. We're not just reacting. We are proactive in our attempt to lead lives at peace with everybody as much as it depends on us. James chapter 3 actually says it this way. Peacemakers 
who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so let me just say right here as I sum up what James is saying in James chapter 3. Some of the drama in your life, as much as you swear you're not a drama person, some of the drama is because you're dramatic. You're reaping drama because you're sowing drama. Some of the unforgiveness in your relationships that you're reaping is because you're sowing unforgiveness. Some of the things that you're reaping in relationships. Now, I'm not putting all the blame on you, but I'm not accountable for anybody else. I'm only accountable for me. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to forgive. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to be at peace. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to attempt to live at peace with everyone in my life. And according to what James says right here, that if I sow in peace, I actually reap a harvest, not just of more peace, but of righteousness. The word righteousness here, we've defined it as Christ-likeness, all all this series, but you could also just uh, define it as right standing before God. That if you sow in peace, you reap in right standing before God. That when God is looking to judge you and me, which will come, and he looks at us, he says, you know what? I see the nature of my son Jesus in you because you sowed seeds of peace in the relationships of your life. If you could almost sum it up this way, you and I may never look more like Jesus Christ than we, when we are peacemakers. When we're peacemakers. Now, I had always read that, that word peacemaker, and, I, and I've said this from the stage several times. I had always read that idea of peacemaker as somebody that was kind of timid, that was, you know, just trying to, you know, just they were watching all the things play out and they were just trying to keep the peace, just, just hold it together as best they could. Look at this in Matthew chapter 5. This is the first sermon that Jesus ever preached, one of the first few verses of that sermon. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Throughout this early portion of Jesus' sermon, we see blessed are these people, blessed are these people, blessed are these people, blessed are these people. Some translations say happy are these people, happy are these people, blessed are these people. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. James says the peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of right standing before God. They reap a harvest of Christ-likeness. If you and I want to really look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, act like Jesus, be little Jesus followers, we got to be peacemakers. And again, I told you, I kind of thought it was like, you know, peacemakers were those people in the corner that were just trying to, you know, let's just all get along. Can we just all get along, please? Y'all stop fighting. Stop doing that. I've completely changed my idea of peacemakers over the last few years. I view a peacemaker as like somebody who stands in the middle of two warring nations and like brings them to the table to find peace. We're going to make a treaty. We're going to stop fighting. We're going to lay the guns down. Like we're done with this. It's like somebody that's standing there at Checkpoint Charlie between East and West Berlin, and some of you don't even get that reference. Go pick up a history book. It would amaze you, all right? And it's like we're fighting. We represent two different ideologies, two different thoughts, 
And yet I'm going to stand in the middle and I'm going to try to bring you to the table and you to the table and we're going to find a workable solution. We're not just going to coexist. We are going to begin to collaborate with one another. That's what a peacemaker is. And, and Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, listen, here's what you're going to do. If you do that, you actually get to be called a child of God. You get to trade on the name of my son, Jesus Christ, when you step into messiness and you bring peace. Wow. So let me just step back into Father's Day for a moment and say to the dads, the best thing that you can do for your family is make your home a place of peace. Peacemakers are not timid. They're not meek and mild. As the father of your home, especially if your kids are still living there, but even if not, you need to be an advocate of peace in the home and in the family. You need to be somebody that steps into the middle of strife. You need to step into the middle of chaos. You need to say, hey, I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to help bring the peace of God to our relationship. The peace of Christ to our home. The peace of God to our marriage. Listen, I, I, I can't be accountable for you. I can't be accountable for what you do or don't do. I can't be accountable for what you say or how you act. But as much as it depends on me, I'm going to use every bit of strength that I have for good and not for evil. And as the dad of this home, as the husband of this marriage, I'm going to fight for peace. I'm going to stop fighting against you, and together we're going to fight for something. I'm going to fight for peace in our home. Now, if you're not a dad, if you're a mom, you're a son, you're a daughter, co-worker, friend, student, be a peacemaker. As much as it depends on you, be a peacemaker. Sow peace so that you can reap righteousness. So you can reap Christ's likeness in every area of your life. Now again, I'm not accountable for what other people do. You may sow peace until you are sick of peace. Like I'm just, Bob Frisbee was telling me there is a, such a thing as too much bacon. They were cooking the bacon in his, like maybe you just get that smell of peace in your nostrils and you're like, I don't want to talk about peace no more. You know what you got to do? Just keep sowing peace. Just keep forgiving. Just keep, just keep sowing peace. Just keep being loving. Keep being kind. Use the peace of Christ Jesus and give it away as freely as you can. Let the troubles of this world and the troubles of your relationship and the troubles of your marriage, the troubles of your life, not create anxiousness and worry and fear and doubt in you because take heart. He has overcome the world. And so work on it. Work on it. Forgive, be kind, be loving. Work on it. So quickly here, to conclude our time today, I want to give you three characteristics of peacemakers. Three quick characteristics right out of Scripture we've already read today. The first of them is this. Peacemakers value people over problems. Peacemakers value people 
over problems. When I was about 19 or 20 years old, I heard this quote, this phrase, in a, in a leadership talk that I was listening to at that point as I was trying to prepare myself for ministry and just in life in general. But they said this, a person who overreacts in a situation with someone else values the circumstance more than they value the person. A person that overreacts in a circumstance, in a situation with somebody else, values the, the problem, values the circumstance, values the issue more than they value the person. I'm not talking about don't react. You should react. Parents, you should discipline. Husbands and wives, you should have some conflict. That's healthy. If you're keeping it all in and never having conflict, like at some point you're going to explode. You should react to things. But if you overreact to something, what it tells me is that you are more concerned with the carpet that something was just spilled on than you are with the child who just made a mistake. It tells me that if you scream and yell at your spouse because they forgot to pay the power bill and you didn't realize it and they didn't realize it either until the power goes off, how could you do it? You're such an idiot. You always forget stuff. You never listen to me. I told you to. What you just told them is that you value the circumstance more than you value them as an individual. But a peacemaker values people. And so a peacemaker steps in and he goes, you know what? That's all right. I mean, I'm frustrated. I think there's like a $1,000 reconnect fee. So we're going to have to sell one of the children. I, I don't, <laughs> you pick. It's your, your pick. I don't know. But I make mistakes too. You find an appropriate reaction to the circumstance. So that at the end of it, they know that you value them more than you value money, more than you value the carpet, more than you value a report card. You react appropriately. They may need to be disciplined. They may need to be grounded. We may need to go to counseling. We may need to work some stuff out, but we're going to react appropriately because I value you, the person, more than I do the problem. So I'm stepping in and I'm going to make peace as best I can, as much as it depends on me. Peacemakers value people over problems. Look at this in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The second thing that characterizes a peacemaker is that peacemakers don't give up. Like we don't just stop after the first time of trying to make, well, they don't listen. They didn't listen to me. Romans chapter 14, which we already read, says this. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make every effort. You just keep trying, keep giving effort, keep working on it, keep making peace as best you can in every effort that depends on you. You just keep working at it. You don't give up. Peacemakers don't give up. Peacemakers just keep stepping in, keep stepping in and making peace. Everywhere there's chaos, they just walk back in and try to fix it. Make peace everywhere it's possible. The third thing is this. Peacemakers stand out. In a world filled with people who just seem to be angry for no reason. Somebody who doesn't try to stir up more anger. Doesn't try to stir up more dissent. Doesn't try to stir up all kinds of other chaos. And peacemakers stand out. Romans chapter 12, which we already read, says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You. It's an individual effort. It's an individual work. But the amazing thing is this. 
if you are married and both of you start working to be peacemakers, peace is going to be made. I promise you. If in your home you're raising children who are peacemakers and you as a, in a couple or a single mom or a single dad, you're trying to make peace, peace is going to be found in your home. But you will stand out on the job and in your school and in your neighborhood if everybody's standing around gossiping and talking about the boss and talking about so-and-so and yeah, 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 and just keep, if you just step in and you go, you know what? It's probably hard. It's probably hard to be the boss. I mean, you want to say, but you probably would like dealing with people like y'all. I mean, I would struggle to be the boss too, but that's not what a peacemaker does. That's the flesh still working in me. Y'all just pray for me. But peacemakers stand out. If you stepped into that situation and you said, you know what, like, let's pray for our boss. Let's pray for our teacher. You support them in public and in private. Hey, I got your back. Hey, I support you. I don't, I don't always agree. I close the door and let's, let's have it out because I don't agree with the decision that you made or the thing that you said to me. But as soon as I open that door, you need to know, like, I've got your back. I'm going to support you in public so that I can have influence in private. Just so you know. Peacemakers stand out. And you go, well, you know, Jeremy, this sounds great. Like, this is awesome. It's good preaching. I love what you're saying, but I can't do this. You're right. You're right. I can't either. Because remember, my flesh can only produce works that do not model the character and nature of Jesus Christ. The only way that I can do this is by allowing the Spirit of God to work in my life and the Spirit of God in me produce peace. I've got to crucify my passion. I've got to get in that conversation and when I want to say what I'm thinking about saying, I crucify that thought. I crucify and kill off those words that I used to say in circumstances like this, which were just like gasoline on the fire. No, I'm not, I'm not gonna say that. Spirit of God, speak through me now or maybe let me practice the spiritual discipline of silence. Spirit-led living. God, produce in me Holy Spirit producing me. The advocate, the Holy Spirit will come in Jesus' name as a gift from the Father to give you his peace. To give you his peace. Not your peace, not my peace. His peace. So you don't have to be worried. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be troubled. Because remember what we've said. Peace isn't the work you do. Peace is the fruit of God's work in you. Peace isn't the work you do. Peace is the fruit of God's work in you. And so some of us today, the prayer is, God, do a work in me. Forgive me. Every time I've spoken a bad word, just thrown gas on the fire, made it worse, multiplied the anger, sown unforgiveness and unkindness and unlovingness towards other, God, forgive me. I wanna crucify those things in the future. 
my passions, my desires. I'm going to crucify those things. I'm going to be careful what I say and careful with what I think. And in my heart, I'm going to keep sowing peace. And your word into my heart so that out of my heart comes words that reflect your nature and your character as you produce peace in me. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude today. If you would say to me, you know, Jeremy, today for me, it's, I need to find peace with God. I'm not in relationship with him. I've I've lived a life, I am living a life far away from him. And I need to ask him to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins and lead my life from this moment forward. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at and join with a group of people in this room who admits our flaws and responds to the grace of God. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I, I wanna live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on me through everything that I can possibly do. I want the Spirit of God to lead and guide me to live at peace with everyone. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. And one last prayer today, especially. If you're a dad in the room and you would say with nobody looking around, I wanna be the peacemaker of my home. I wanna be the peacemaker of my marriage. If I'm married, I wanna be the peacemaker as a father if I have children. But specifically today to the fathers in the room, if you say, I want to be the peacemaker of my home and I want my family to know that, would you lift your hand right where you're at? God, I love you today and I thank you so much for the opportunity to spend these few minutes here talking to you. I believe that you hear us, God. And God, now I pray for every person that responds to you for their need for salvation. God, would you forgive their sins today? Lead and guide their life from this moment forward. God, we don't take it for granted when people choose to enter into relationship with you. So God, we thank you for those decisions today. God, we pray now for every hand that was uplifted asking to live at peace with everyone. God, that may mean having a difficult conversation. It may mean forgiving somebody that hurt us. It may mean having the difficult conversations on an ongoing basis because somebody's just difficult to deal with. But God, I pray today that you would help us to manifest peace in our lives because of what you're doing in us through the Spirit of God. And God, now I pray for every father that lifted their hands, that desires to be the peacemaker of their home. God, would you change homes, change marriages, change relationships with children. Let the, evident, the change be evident today. When we walk out of this place, we're not just receiving gifts from our kids. God, today we give the gift of peacemaking back to our families. God, it matters because generations matter. And we put a stake in the ground today and say we are changing the narrative of our family forever today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.